You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the 2020 midseason Gators panel. Super exciting to see all you guys, and I'm excited to introduce the guests. But before we do that, just like last time, our event is sponsored by former Florida Gator baseball legend Alan Horn. So Alan Horn's insurance agency is a state farm agency located in Jasper, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Alan and his team are going to offer premier products backed by premium service in auto, home, life, and business insurance. So give Alan a call at 706-629-2888 or reach out online at allenhorninsurance.com. That's Allen, A-L-A-N-H-O-R-N-E, insurance.com. So, boys, it's exciting to have all of you here. We're excited to welcome some new names and faces to introduce myself as the moderator. My name is Dan Thompson. Uh, I'm with the Stadium and Gale podcast. And Dave? David Waters from the Gators Breakdown podcast. So glad to be doing this again. So like Dan said, some new faces in here. I know it's been requested that uh, we get the guys from the Gator Nation football podcast on with us. So we, we, without further ado, we, we definitely did that. And had to get a former player with us as well, you know, CI here. And, man, I've I, I missed Silk the last couple of times. So uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad he could get in on this one too. I think it was just one time. <laughs> okay, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Maybe was. I can't count. Like two times, Dave. I, I, know, I know how that feels. <laughs> Corey, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Corey, Uncle Silk, known as tw- on Twitter, or Stadium Miguel, Big Three Roll-Up Network, Big Three Roll-Up Podcast. Awesome. Then CI, a man who needs no introduction, but why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, Cornelius Ingram, uh, former Gator player, uh, currently a head football coach at Hawthorne High School, also head girls basketball coach as well. Hell yeah. And then Alan Williams, go ahead and introduce yourself. What's up, everybody? Good to be here with all these Gator Twitter luminaries. Alan Williams, Gator Nation Football Podcast. And last but certainly not least is everybody's favorite All-22 Gators Breakdown. Uh, Twitter guru, um, James, go ahead and introduce yourself, my friend. Hey, I appreciate that. Thanks for the intro. I'm James DiVirgilio of the Gator Nation Football Podcast, and I'm looking forward to this evening. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much. We will monitor the comments and everything else, so please feel free to ask your questions, and we will definitely try to get those answered. Uh, but, boys, we're going to start uh, with you, Dave, just to, to throw this question out here. Did you expect the Florida Gators offense, which is ranked 12th in total offense, 7th in scoring offense, 4th in passing offense, to look like this uh, before the season started? Nope. Uh, I won't lie. Uh, I did not at all. I mean, heck, I, I expected, okay, you lose those receivers. And I, and I said the whole time, I was like, losing those receivers up Florida lost, it wasn't going to hurt them all that much. They, they still had a lot of returning production coming back. You had Kyle Pitts coming back. That wasn't, that really wasn't what was going to be the difference in, in Florida's offense. I thought the run game would be a little further along maybe than, than what we're seeing. And they're coming along nicely right now, but I thought, you know, Florida would probably dedicate itself to the run a little bit more, but 
I think they just they just unearthed something with, with Kyle Trask along the way last year that Dan Mullen just wanted to extend uh, a, a bit and with him getting the experience of, of being that starter uh, for an offseason. And I know this offseason was crazy, but it just seems like you know, everything probably Dan Mullen asked of him and he probably asked of himself, they went and figured it out. And uh, like I said, I, I thought the run gave me better. I thought they might have to rely on it a little bit more by – as they were figuring out everything along with losing those receivers. But I mean, they come out the old Miss game from the get-go and you could just see it was a smooth, well-oiled machine throwing the ball left and right, throwing the ball down the field and trash ball placement, I think is that's probably the biggest surprise for me so far is just how he's come from the last time we saw him in the orange bowl to the ball placement, very first game against Ole Miss where he's throwing it low and away from Pitts and low and away from Ole Miss defenders. And I was like, okay, there, there's something different from Kyle Trask that I don't know if we got to see on a consistent basis last year. So, of course, it starts with him. It starts with those receivers that that, that have stepped up for all those guys that left from last year's team. So, no, I, I didn't I didn't expect it. Maybe at some point in the season, but not from the get-go until where it's even – it's still getting better as the season goes on. Absolutely. James, want to follow up. Same question with you um, from a schematic standpoint, just the way that, that Florida is operating on the uh, offensive side of the ball right now. Did you expect going into this season that Florida would be operating as efficiently as they are? Well, that was the big question entering into the season. We spent a lot of time on our season preview saying, you know, is Dan in 2.0 going to be the guy we see or is it is it 1.0? And certainly what we saw last year, we felt like with some additional man-to-man combinations, uh, a more committed attack to passing downfield, and sort of all the, the wish list items we've had. If that happened, then we'd see something we're seeing. But sort of everything we wanted to happen happened, and I think for that alone, right, that part is surprising. Rarely do you get your entire wish list to occur. And, and obviously, you know, Trask has been pointing the strings perfectly. So is it surprising? Maybe only because for Dan Mullen, he did take – the final step of, of, you know, in our opinion, going from one to two and leaning fully into uh, really running a very different offense than what he's ever run before with regards to wide open, uh, high, low read passing, you know, kind of a different philosophy from the, the three to four yards and the spread option of the mid 2000s. Perfect. Uh, Corey, the same question. Uh, is this the offense that you expected? Yeah. Uh... A lot of what a lot of what those guys said. I expected uh, Kyle Trask to come out sharp. Um, I kind of harped that, harped on that during the off season that I didn't expect us to come out slow at all, even if, even when missing the spring. Just know that uh, I just know that with Dan Muller, we're never going to sputter on offense. We, we may have a lot of deficiencies or some other things may happen, but offense is, isn't going to be one of those things. And I just knew Kyle was going to put in the type of work that needed to be done for us to have a successful season. Um, I am like I'm liking how the offense is changing. I think Dan is adjusting different. Um, teams are sitting in dime a little bit, and he's uh, running the ball when we have to. Um, last year we couldn't run the ball at all, so we can, we're capable of running the ball. But he's also leaning on our strength, which is Kyle Trask passing the ball around the yard. I love it. I love it. Uh, CI, this question is for you. Um, obviously, as a former national champion, former SEC uh, championship winner, Florida seemingly, like Dave mentioned and the guys have mentioned, seemingly not produced a great rushing offense so far. Um, is Florida one a little too one-dimensional on offense to win uh, the SEC this year? Oh, um, you know, we're, we're, I feel like we, we 
we run the ball when we need it. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's tough to say because you got to give, you know, play. And, and so, he's um, so yeah, we're having some difficulty with the internet, Alan. Kind of the same question. Um, talk to us about Florida's rushing offense. Do you think they're a little too one dimensional, uh, to, to win the SEC this year? No, not at all. I I don't think you need to run the ball at any kind of rate to win in the modern college football. I think we throw the ball as well as anybody does in the country. And I think we can run it just enough. I don't think we have to be plus running the ball. I think where we're at right now with the offensive line that they're creating just enough to like keep some part of the defense honest. But we're never going to be elite at running the ball. But we can be exceptional at throwing the ball. I think that can take us where we want to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Dave, want to, want to ask you this question, uh, entering the season, a lot of question marks on Florida's offensive line. They finally seem to be gelling, um, right now, only allowed eight sacks, uh, all season. Um, are you starting to be a believer in this offensive line? My bad. I was trying to get CI back in here. Uh, yeah, to the point, I mean, the left side has, I think, proven itself uh, to be the, the strong side, and I don't think there's any question uh, of there. I, I am really surprised at the leap Stone Forsyth has taken. I mean, and uh, we we saw the offensive line come along as the season went along last year. No, nothing ever special, but you could see, especially the way they ran the ball in in, in the Orange Bowl, and I didn't want to cut, try and convert that too much uh, in, into this season and maybe, okay, there, there's the steps that we're seeing. But you, you brought in Reese from you know, from Mississippi State, and I think um, – I, th- I think I fell for how much that would mean. It, it, it didn't necessarily translate into Florida this year it, of being Same. really solidified there at, at right guard. I'm kind of disappointed in, in what we got from him. And then we went and played pretty good versus Georgia and, and then got injured. So we were, yeah. we were finally seeing him at his best. And then he has to, he's, he has to get taken off the field there. Uh, but the left side, I mean, Heggie, I mean, before the season, it was going to be wider Heggy at center. And I don't know if you could play much better than what Heggy's doing right now when White right. comes back. So, and we're starting to see him inserted late last week. And we'll probably see some more this week versus Vanderbilt. But, you know, for, for that left side of from, from starting at center to, to Heggy to Garage to Forsyth, I really like what I'm seeing there and, and, and what, what that side of the ball has been able to do. The right side's quite disappointing uh, right now. Every weakness you see on the offense usually comes from there. They got better at pulling. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the whole offensive line at the beginning of the season when they would pull the guards and try and, and hit, some, hit some run plays there, timing just seemed way off there. That's, got, that's gotten better there. But my, my biggest issue, and, I, and I'll probably put it on the offensive line a bit more, the explosives in the run game are nowhere to be found. And mm-hmm. that's nitpicking this offense a little bit uh, of where that is. There's all the explosives to come in the passing game. You kind of expect that. But, you know, the longest run from a running back's like 25 yards right now. So that's the next step, I think, for this offense. It's not a necessity. They don't mm-hmm. need it. But if you're looking for something else to kind of maybe for the offense to take another step, it's the explosives in the run game. And I think that starts up front with that offensive line. Okay, perfect. Uh, James, want to go back to you, obviously, uh, notorious for your film breakdown. Talk to us a little bit about the offensive line. 
Well, obviously, anyone who's watched the film breakdowns probably feels like I have a, a some, some some sort of personal vendetta <laughs> with with the land, but I, I don't, as we say. Really, every time on anything we do at the podcast, you know, we're trying to bring analysis based upon what we see on film. And that's how guys can improve, too. But the offensive line has been solid with the exception of DeLance. And he has been a tremendous weak spot that we have survived. Of course, with Ethan White going down, that really altered what we could do. I think the big question for Florida as we move into the Alabama game is going to be, do we do what needs to be done and, and move DeLance out and explore what combination of linemen is going to be best for us. Uh, we said on this week's podcast that it's sort of like a soccer coach spending half a season trying to tinker with a lineup to find out who plays well together. I think Florida would do well to begin that process this weekend uh, because, again, we know what we get from DeLance, and we've been able to survive it thus far. Obviously, our offense is setting records, but it's just not going to be good enough to have a weak spot like that against the elite teams in college football. Danny muted. I'm so sorry. Uh, James, quick follow-up to that. I uh, want to ask you, what schematic changes would you make or what player changes would you make uh, going into this um, Vanderbilt game um, to, to for, in your opinion, for Florida to be a better offensive line? Well, I think Allen has been really the one on this offensive line lineup for a while, and this might sound uh, maybe even extreme to some, but you know we've been fans of flipping Forsyth from left tackle to right tackle uh, you can put Garage at left tackle. I think he's our best lineman right now with talent and experience. And then from there, you have a variety of options with how you employ Ethan White, Heggie, and Reese. Uh, they're almost interchangeable to a certain degree. You can obviously slide Heggie back to guard. You can mm -hmm. put White at center. But I think all of it begins, in my opinion, with putting Stone at right tackle where he'd be better off not facing an elite pass rusher. You know, that's what he struggles with if someone's going to give him – uh, a, a good, quick pass rush from a from a top-level guy. He struggles with that. That's his weakness. Put him at right tackle where you won't experience that as much. So to me, I think that's the potential ceiling lineup. Mm -hmm. But I think there's there's a lot of optionality. And uh, Alan, you know, you might want to get Alan's thoughts on this one. He's kind of been the, the offensive line uh, strategist, if you will, for a while. But that's what we've been thinking might be yeah. the best at the ceiling level. But that may not be true. Again, mm -hmm. if we could get some film on some different lineups, right? <laughs> that would help us the most. I think that's what we're kind of imploring. What I'm asking for is give us some different lineups so the coaches can get film, we can get film, and then you can make a decision based upon game evidence uh, versus, you know, speculation. I love it. Alan, you want to quickly jump in? Yeah, obviously that's a ton of speculation. Stone Forsyth only had a few snaps at a right tackle, but I think he projects if he's going to play at all in the NFL at right tackle and not left tackle. Mm -hmm. And Garage has more of what you would think of as prototypical left tackle skill. And then, again, we haven't seen this lineup at all. So it's just conjecture. Um, and then what you ask schematically, I don't, I don't think there's anything schematically that the offensive line is doing wrong, mm -hmm. at least enough that you would say we need to make major changes. It's just personnel-wise, we don't have what it takes to match up, as James said, against the elite-level teams. But maybe we do, and those guys get there on the field and we see it, but uh, I would love for them to try it because you are you can beat Vanderbilt with any combination of any mm -hmm. offensive line you want, so why not try? Yeah, absolutely, and I know one of the guys that uh, we haven't really talked much about is Josh Braun, and I think that he's, especially for a, a true freshman, really come in and, and held his weight. I don't think he's allowed a pressure or sack all season as well. See, I want to come back to you. I know we lost you on the last question, um, and I'm curious to see as a former SEC championship winner, uh, is Florida a little too one-dimensional on the offensive side of the ball to win the SEC championship? Oh, man. Well, we'll definitely have to run the ball 
against against Alabama. Um, that's that's without question. Uh, but I, I do believe what what Coach Mullen he's doing with with the offense and the running backs. You know, just you know having them run routes out of the backfield, matching them up against linebackers or safeties. Um, and we've had a lot of success with with that one particular wheel route uh, in, in some games. But uh, we'll definitely need to run the ball. I don't know. Um, would that determine the game or not? Uh, because you know our offense is still explosive. We we have a lot of a lot of playmakers who can make some plays. Uh, but but that can you know have the game a little closer than it, it, it should it should be. Um, but we'll definitely need to run the ball some uh, against Alabama because I know for a fact we can't be one dimensional against them. And I know most most of these offenses are very explosive nowadays. Um, it, it's a lot to prepare for when you have great receivers and, and, and a solid running game. But uh, at the end of the day, if we want to win the SEC championship, we would need to run the ball. Perfect. Uh, Corey, want to go to you. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on Stadium Gale this past week, but what's one thing that you want to see improved on the offensive side of the ball at the halfway point? Uh, I just want to see Emory usage, uh, maybe like the way he's been used. Um, I think Kyle's doing great. Uh, um, a lot of the times Emory comes in the game, I don't. It, it seems awkward or out of place. So, uh, <laughs> um, I think these next games, like like, like Alan said before, we could be we could be Vanderbilt with any combination of lines, and I think the same thing was for us. The other uh, the depth, I think we should we, we we should get to see a lot of our depth, uh, the young guys, a lot of Emory. Uh, let me see my young wide receiver corps, some different offensive linemen. Um, that's what I would like to see. Um, there's not a whole lot to improve on. I think we can run the ball. I think we're just leaning on our scramble, which is Kyle Trash throwing the ball around the yard. But we showed last game we just ran for 200 yards against Arkansas. We can run the ball. Um, I think a lot of our explosive runs are uh, – I think our wide receivers block better downfield. We talked about that on Stadium and Gale. We got some guys missing blocks down the field in the receiving corps that can spring some runs there. Um, so when we go trips left or we go those bunch sets – we had opportunities to break some big ones, but but we missed um, blocks on the perimeter. Absolutely, uh, Dave. Same question to you. What's one thing that you want to see uh, changed or improved on the offensive side of the ball? I, I kind of hit on it with the explosive runs. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really the last you know, the last thing I, that's maybe missing uh, from the offense. But as I said, it doesn't hurt the offense at all. I mean, that's just me nitpicking. I mean, right mm-hmm. now with the way this offense is playing, that's all you really can do is nitpick. And we sit here and what improvements do we want to see? And that's pretty much what it is. It's, it's nitpick because it's it's elite right now. It is playing at an elite level with an elite level quarterback and. Uh, Maybe maybe to Silk's point, better usage of Emory Jones. Uh, just you know, I don't want to, I don't, wanna, I don't, don't want to see him take a snap and then after that play, it's like, oh, why was he in there? I want to see him go out there and oh, that's why he was out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's okay. He's he's it's clear now. He's going to go out there and pick up a short yardage first down. It's no, there's no guessing game when Emory Jones is going. In. There's no sigh because he's going out there maybe as the season goes on maybe more confidence and when Emory goes out there we're like okay there's a plan to this we're excited to see this much like and, and I hate bringing up the Tebow in 06 over and over again but how we felt that way you know he's coming out we know there's a plan there's a reason they're doing it and it's successful I probably that's probably if we're going to nitpick that's probably where I'd go absolutely uh Alan same question yeah, some good things have been said. I mean, we've, we've kind of harped on that right side of the offensive line. I mean, 
James is uh, well known for his rants about the Emory usage, as we're calling it there. But I, Dave said that very well. It feels arbitrary. Uh, maybe just remove that from the game plan until you get to, like you said, you have something philosophically that you want to accomplish. But uh, the run game to me, like I said, it, it could be improved, but I don't think that's anything that's standing our way. It's hard to find anything other than our right tackle that I really want to see improved upon. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, James, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think we, we've perfect. covered the gamut and, uh, and obviously, yes, I think for me personally, I've, I've said it as many times as I can say it. I, I just don't understand why, and this is, this is no offense to Emery, but why he's getting snaps that aren't in you know the late third quarter, early fourth quarter of a game that's already in hand. It just doesn't make sense. When you look at our, not only our points per play, but also our yards per play and how dynamic the offense is, this is not the Chris Leak, Tim Tebow year where Chris Leak was going to struggle to convert third downs. I mean, you look at Kyle Trask, if it's third and one or two, there are so many things we can do to attack you that a lot of teams are not even bringing enough numbers into the box. They are basically content to play hat-on-hat football or even down a man, not to allow the Gators to take a favorable situation and put it to their advantage. So it's really hard to defend using Emory at all. And again, that has nothing to do with mm-hmm. him and everything to do with who's quarterback for Florida right now. So for me, uh, I think that that would, that would be the major thing to change along with DeLance. And then I think, and this is what's impressive, and we should focus on this, right? Those are two things that we can mention. And virtually everything else that's happened with the offense this year has been remarkably stellar. So if we're grading this unit out, it's about as good as you can possibly mm-hmm. get. I mean, you're never going to have it perfect, but there's a chance, right? There's a chance if we if we do a couple of things right here before the season ends that we could be operating at what you would consider to be you know, almost perfection when it comes to sort of a schematic personnel talent level, which is, again, remarkable. And hats off to, to Mullen for achieving that. Selk, I know you have some thoughts. I think uh, one of the reasons he's trotting um, Emory out there is, is that's that's what uh, Mullen does. He want he wants to run the dive with the quarterback. He wants that option. We see him do that awkward run play with with, with Kyle Trash. Sometimes we all cringe at that. <laughs> we cringe that Kyle Trash doing that running play the same way we cringe when Emory's coming in at an awkward moment. And that's yep. just Dan wanting to be Dan. Yeah, that's good. Um, see, I want to change the question as somebody that's a, probably a subject matter expert on the uh, the matter. Uh, Gators tight ends this this year. Obviously, Kyle Pitts is uh, likely your Mackey Award winner this year. Uh, but we've also seen Kamori Gamble mm-hmm. step in when when Kyle Pitts got hurt, uh, and we've also seen Keon Zipper get some uh, some burn this year. What is it about this offense, or what is it about the Gators tight ends that that have them doing so well this year? Well, I, I think, you know, going into re- recruitment, um, Coach Muller, he's looking for a certain body type, um, s- certain speed, you know, to, to, to play this position. Um, and, and especially with, with Kyle Pitts having the year that he's having, um, it definitely opens up recruitment. And I think a lot of kids who, who might play, you know, a big receiver in their ho- high school offense, um, can play tight end in, in our Florida offense. And, and a lot of these kids are, are comfortable with, with making those decisions to come to the University of Florida because of all the success we've had um, with not only Pitts, but the backups as well. So uh, certain body types, um, of course, you know, four, five, four, six speed, which is really fast for a tight end. Um, and, and our offense, that's, that's where you can thrive. And I, I just know 
you know, we'll continue to recruit those kind of guys. Um, I'm excited about the future um, at, at the position as well. I'm pretty sure Pitts will leave, but but some of these young guys will have the opportunity uh, to play 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 a key role in our offense going forward. You're on mute again, Dan. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I don't want to. Uh, I'm drinking and all that other stuff, you know. Um, so want to? Uh, we're just, that's, that, that's the phrase of 2020, right? Hey, you're on mute. Can everybody hear me? Uh, so, Dave, want to go to you quick, then go to uh, to Self James Allen, uh, and then CI. Uh, who is your midseason offensive MVP of the year that's not named Kyle? Not named Kyle. Um, I'm glad I get to go first. I'll go Kadarius Tony. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, hey, Dave, I want to go back to something you said earlier, and I want to hear your thoughts. I mean, you talked about uh, Stuart Reese and, and his ability to step in and make a huge impact. I'm the one that on Stadium and Gale said that he was going to be uh, the offensive MVP this year. So <laughs> I talked about eating some crow, but um, <laughs> so Dave's thoughts on, uh, on KT. Hey, there was good reason to go with Reese there. Right? As I said, as we, as, that's why it's so, kind of so disappointing there. But, I mean, yeah, KT, I mean, it's just – and he was a player we kind of pointed to before the season even started. And, and, and it was it was a question. Could he take the next step? Could he be more than the gadget player? Could he be more than the Wildcat? Could he be more than taking a direct handoff in the backfield? And, and he is. I mean, he's proven to be a wide receiver. He can run. He can run routes now. He's There's no second-guessing. Uh, of when he's out there is he just a gadget player and we're, we're seeing Kadarius Tony really improve and now defenses are just having to focus on him so much now and, and we've seen it the production has kind of fallen a little bit but for good reason I mean you know Georgia it bottled him up but other guys were open on the field you saw it this past week as well uh, and he's still finding ways to get the ball in his hand so you know Georgia game maybe reverted back to some of the stuff we had seen before but I mean he's trying to make something happen in, in a game that everybody knows that means so much to the team but just for what for what he's done to now catch 30 30 you know balls 30 yards down the field on a consistent basis is just something that we were wondering if we would see this year from him and we're absolutely getting it absolutely so uh, this is that's rough after you take Kyle Trask and Tony away, but I'll go keep more gamble. Uh, I think he's been playing well. Um, <laughs> uh, my man Kyle Pitts, and he's also been blocking very well. I think that's been uh, a little underrated for him. So I'll go keep more gamble. This guy, I gotta pick somebody outside of those two. Perfect, James. Want to hear your thoughts? Offensive MVP, not named Kyle. Yeah, it's certainly Kadarius Tony. That's that's the most obvious answer. His progression has been nothing short of remarkable. We highlighted frequently last year that he was barely able to run a route with any actual competency uh, and to watch him not only run routes really well, but actually consistently do the right thing and do the little things that will let you play receiver uh, at the next level. That's That's amazing. But I'll give you a guy who – way off the radar and it's been impressing me each and every week. And that's, that's Justin shorter. Mm -hmm. uh, he does all the little things, right? He's probably our best blocker as a receiver. Uh, he's great on special teams and, and he's, he's becoming more and more consistent. He's definitely not the MVP. Again, we've established who those right. guys are. If you're looking for a guy who's been a glue guy for the team, who you can see the team really likes and who just does everything as hard as he can do it. Uh, I'm going to go with Justin Shorter as the guy that most people may not be aware of because, you know, he's only getting a couple of balls a game, touchdown mm -hmm. here and there. But, again, he's doing a lot of things that show up that help the team that may go unnoticed for the average fan. Yeah, I know Silk's been driving the Shorter bus um, all season. So, uh, Alan. 
Yeah, I mean, the clear answer is Tony, but a guy I'll give a little highlight for is Brett Heggie. I think when you replace a center, a lot could go wrong, and that's been more than seamless. He's been excellent at times this year, at, at the very least, very solid. So he's a guy, if that goes poorly, that transition, that, that really bogs the offense down. So having him there be a, really a rock for the offensive line think it's a very underrated aspect of this you know team success but clearly you know if we're going to say other than the Kyles Tony has to be the answer and he's been just a revelation this year yeah when you when you have you know so few options and you're the fourth one to go I know sometimes it sounds like rehash but CI give us your thoughts mid-season MVP offense uh, uh, uh first of all I just want to say you guys are great um, I'm I'm just excited just listening to you guys um, you know, talk about this team and it's, a, it's, it's, it's pretty special, but I definitely have to go with Tony as well. Um, from a standpoint of, I can remember when he came in, um, he kind of drew comparisons to, uh, Percy Harvard and, and to, to finally have a guy healthy, um, coached by a great receiver coach, um, and, and, and coach Gonzalez, who, who I know. And of course coach me as well. Um, I'm happy for his for his success. He he does a lot for the team. He's one of he's one of the better blockers um, in the perimeter run game as a wide receiver. That's that's on the team, and I know I know how important that is. You know, I, I played tight end slash receiver there, and and I knew Coach Mullen, Coach Meyer, Coach Gonzalez. If you didn't block on the perimeter, you know, you probably won't get the ball. So um, I know how hard these guys work. Um, in, in the run game at the receiver position, but just to see him have success um, at the at the receiver position and and and, and run the routes, he's blocking downfield. He's a very tough guy. Um, and then of course he also does um, does the does the return game as well. So uh, Tony will definitely be that guy um, outside the name of Kyle for sure. I love it. I love it. I'm gonna hey, throw Dan, it Dan, yeah. can I throw a question to Ingram, Ingram right quick? Yep. Yeah. If James brought it up too, and then Dan Mullen 2.0 or, or, you know, whatever version of Dan Mullen you want to say this is, mm-hmm. it's different from what you played in. Yes, absolutely. What similarities from what you've seen for Kyle Pitts and what Dan Mullen's asking him to do that you did back in that day in that Urban Meyer, Dan Mullen offense? You know what? Um, he, he's attached. I, I can remember um, for, for me, my, my junior year, I was in the slot most of the time. Um, I, I didn't really play the traditional tight end, and I wanted to come back for my senior season to to show that inline blocking. And he he has pits there. He has pits there. He's doing a great job. And I think it was one of the games. I didn't even know the Mackey Award winner. Well, the Mackey Award really didn't go to Pitts last year because he wasn't attached or he wasn't basically a traditional tight end. And and that's the reason why they didn't take him as serious as as they should have. And um, there's a lot of similarities, but just for him to to come back and, and, and Coach Mullen knew exactly what he wanted to do and to have that inline blocking. And I, I I see him pull around sometimes, and he's making real blocks on you know 260 70 pound defensive ends, or he's leading up to linebackers, and he's doing a great job at doing it. But you know, Coach Muller, he's he's the guy for it. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's putting guys in, in positions to to be successful. And I know for a fact these young tight ends, 
Um, I don't want to say they're waiting on Pitts to leave, but but they'll have their opportunity to to get their glory and um, they'll have success at it. Absolutely. I did want to follow up with that. I know that you have talking to a couple of the, uh, the, the guys involved with the program. I know that they're doing whatever they can to make sure that uh, everybody that's voting for that award and voting for awards just overall knows that Kyle Pitts is indeed a tight end and not a wide receiver. Yep. Yep. Uh, so anytime that you see Kyle Pitts, you're, you're going to see the position tight end in there every single time. I'm going to go with a guy before we move to the defensive side of the ball uh, that I think that's made a big impact. And I'm going to go, I uh, was done Forsyth. Um, you know, according to my numbers and James and Alan, your numbers might be different. So don't dog me. Um, but I think that he's only, uh, let's see, what did I have? He's only given up, I think, one sack on the season, uh, one quarterback hit, and then two hurries in the entire season. And he's played uh, 406 snaps. So uh, for a left tackle guy, I think that that's playing really, really well uh, this season. And I think that he's having um, just a, a remarkable improvement um, each and every week that, that he's playing. Um Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. I'm, I know that you guys all have your opinions and takes on the defensive side of the ball. We might. Do we have to? <laughs> we might be able to get some good spirited debate going on. Um, want to talk about third down defense first. Um, obviously, Florida struggled mightily against Texas A&M. Uh, gave up a, a ton of third downs. Uh, ultimately. Uh, help them lose that game. Uh, but since then, they've only allowed eight of 37 on third down. Uh, what do you think Florida was doing wrong at the beginning of the season? And do you think it's improved or, or what are you seeing on, on third down defense? And, and James, I want to start that with you. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was coming my way first. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just be really, really brief. And I'll say essentially nothing has really changed. Uh, we've gotten incrementally, and I mean truly incrementally better at running our schemes we're trying to run, you know, whatever we're playing, whether it's zone man, off man, whatever. There's incremental improvement there. We've had sometimes significant improvement depending on the personnel that's in the game. Uh, that tends to be random from game to game. So you can't hang your hat on this guy is now here permanently. But I think lastly, the simple answer to this question is look at the quarterbacks we've played since we played Texas A&M and name one that's good. You can't. And that's the answer to that question. So I think a lot of that third down defense is, is a mirage right now. Yes, it's happening, uh, but it's hard to look at film and say, man, we're really cleaning stuff up. Case in point, the fourth down play in the game against Arkansas should have been a touchdown. That should have been a touchdown, right? They got a busted coverage. Elam blows the coverage. Marco Wilson blows his assignment to cover the first guy running a slant. That would have been a big play and they don't convert it. So a better quarterback converts that in his sleep. So I'm going to say it's Miragi, and we should hold off on this stat. Uh, mainly, if you want to evaluate Grantham, you have to evaluate what he does against competent quarterbacks. And that third down conversion rate is way high. You're looking yeah. at above 56%. You factor in fourth downs, you're looking at above like 62%. Yeah. If you factor in quarterbacks that have, you know, even a, even a modest like quarterback rating, whichever one you prefer. So that's a tough question to be so reductive yeah. with. In my opinion, I don't see anything on film that says, man, we've really made a lot of changes. I think yeah. it just it just could be a factor if we've been playing. So you notice any changes or a difference in the uh, in third down or uh, defense as a whole? Nope. You're on mute. Sorry, who is that to? So no, um, yeah, I definitely see a difference in, in I think – I don't, I don't, I haven't really got dove into the stats a lot, but just watching the games, I think our run stopping has definitely been better. Um, we're getting more on the inside, in my, in my opinion. 
I think guys moving back to their, their right position, like personnel-wise, with um, Kyrie Campbell coming back and, and then uh, Zach, Zach Carter going back to his natural position, I think he's playing better. Um, yeah, and I think we, we lead the SEC in sacks. So I think we're definitely playing a little better. I don't know. Like like he said, we haven't played any elite quarterback, so it's hard mm-hmm. to tell. I guess we'll find out when we play Bama. Yep. And that is fortunate for Florida. They're not going to play another elite uh, quarterback until they do play Alabama in the SEC championship. Uh, Alan, want to dump that question uh, onto you, and I'm not sure if you and James diverge in your thoughts there, but talk to us about, about defense and, and third down defense specifically. Yeah, so certainly we're putting teams in a little worse of a position on third down. As Corey said, like our run defense has improved. The addition of Kyrie Campbell was, I think, enormous for this team. And it's kind of sad that we have so little depth that one guy missing, you know, just completely threw us off. But it's it's strange on the back end. It's like we had never run zone defenses before. And this is a team that plays a lot of zone under Grantham. Right. Our linebackers in the wrong windows. Marco Wilson seemed like he's never had to play zone before. Um, it has gotten, like Jim said, a little bit better. But then there's times where it's just confusingly bad. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know long-term whether I would bet on, oh, we have improved. Now, certainly the results have been better, but it might just be too small a sample size. I am, I am hopeful, though. I'm a little more hopeful than James is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, I want to ask you uh, this question, um, and I'm not sure how close you, you, you've paid attention to the team this year, but Kyra Campbell out for the first uh, couple games this season. Uh, returned back to the lineup, mm-hmm. uh, noticed, um, you know, kind of a remarkable change in the defensive line, returning Brenton Cox out back out to his position, Zachary Carter to the same. Um, Florida leads the the SEC right now in total sacks, like Corey said. How big was his return, and what are you seeing on the field that's allowing the defensive line as a whole to operate better? Is He he was huge. Um, you know, ha- having him return – of course, was 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 huge for us, but I will say this: I think um, maybe the Georgia game. When I was watching the Georgia game, I was a little concerned. You know, we really didn't have a pass rush, and um, they missed throws. And you know, immediately I thought about Alabama. I don't know if those throws, you know, would be missed. You know, against against a high power you know, passing attack that Alabama has with, with great receivers and a, and a great quarterback. So um, I think it's some communication issues. Uh, some of these guys, I think, are playing man. Some are playing zone. They're not getting the calls clean. Um, hopefully, you know, we can get all these things worked out before the SEC championship game. But, you know, I just know for a fact, you know, playing bad quarterbacks um, sometimes um, – you have to get sacks or you might get picks and it really doesn't show or tell if you're really, you know, running your scheme the right way um, when you're playing bad quarterbacks. So I have a little concern, I'll be honest, uh, but I think we, we, we still have a little time to clean up some of those communication issues, but uh, having Campbell return um, help with our pass rush um, tremendously. So he'll definitely help us going forward. 
Perfect. Dave, I was going to ask you that, that same question, but, but CI brought up a point. I know this is something that we've talked about on stadium and Gale with the loss of David Reese, who was really the quarterback of that defense for, for a number of years. It seems like Florida's missing some, some vocal leadership uh, in the backfield on the defensive side of the ball. Are you seeing any potential changes, you know, at the, really at the beginning of the season, Florida was struggling getting into position. They often look lost when they went out there. Uh, could we maybe potentially underestimate the loss of, of the voice of, of David Reese as the quarterback of the defense? I mean, I think you can say that because uh, I don't I, – I can't point to any other reason why you have so many players who've played in this defense and they've played in it for two or three seasons now and they look like they're lost. You know, there's, like you said, the pre-snap or, you know, during the play and they can't hand off a zone or they don't know where to be or they get beat deep and just, it seems like a miscommunication. But how can there be miscommunication with guys who have – you know, all the safeties that are back there playing a lot of snaps – have been in this defense. Marco Wilson has been in this defense. Mm-hmm. Ventrell Miller may not have been the starter last year. James Houston may not have been the starter last year, but those guys have played a lot of football and they're in the wrong gaps and they're you know, and, and the communication and, and they're letting big plays just go behind them. I can't point to anything else of why there's so much experience, but they seem like they're playing in their first year on the defense. I, I don't get it. I don't I don't understand how you especially the safety position. I don't understand how that position it's basically just gotten worse every season that Todd Grantham has been there. And I, I, I don't know what to point to, to to say why that's happening because given all the experience, these guys should be better. They should be building upon that experience you know, for three seasons now, and you, you, you're not seeing it. And I, I don't know why. Um, maybe somebody else here does, but I, I, I don't know why. I know where some people might point fingers, Dave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Silk, want to ask you kind of the same question. Your former defensive back, a guy that, you know, certainly relies on either, you know, a, a vocal safety or vocal linebacker to, to kind of put folks into position. Um, do you think that the loss of David Reese was, was bigger than we – potentially anticipated and do you think that the lack of that that voice is is what's hurting for his defense this year uh yeah we're definitely missing leadership um i can't i can't point to anyone on the, on the defense right now besides I me mean, i think zach carter is a leader but i zach carter plays defensive end he can't get calls in so i think he's the emotional leader but we're definitely missing something um on that back end whether it's linebacker or safety uh somebody getting the calls in being on the same page which is like Barely getting – if we get together before snap, that's just like a plus for me. Um, <laughs> ready before snap, I'm just like excited. Like, okay, yes, we, we was at least ready this down. So, I don't know what's going on, but, I mean, it's the same Jimmy and Joe. So, I mean, it, it points at the top. It mm-hmm. points to the safety coach. It points to the, defense, the defensive coordinator. It's his job. When, when the player's not getting it done, we can, we can scream at the players all day, but it goes to the top. Communication comes from the top. He communicates to the the, the 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 player that gets to play in, and that player gets to play in. If it's not getting in and it communicated right, that goes all the way back to the top coach. Yeah. Especially this many games in, this many years yeah. in. That, I guess that's yeah. kind of my point. That yep. it, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, we this continuity is what we thought was going to be a plus, especially on the defensive side. Like the, all the communication is going to be the same. It's the, more continuity, but it's not. It's not showing up on the defensive side of the field. And that recruiting on the defense side of the field has been better than offense. So that's yep. a little bit shocking and surprising. 
All right, boys, I, I turn my hat backwards because I'm ready for a, a nice little debate. Uh, I want to hear everybody's thoughts on this. And, and James, we'll start with you. I know you're nodding your head uh, with what Silk was saying, but let's talk about defensive coverages. Let's talk about the cornerbacks. Let's talk about the star. Let's talk about the safety. Um, what is going on uh, in the defensive backfield with a bunch of talented players or, or what we believe are talented players? Yeah, I think that there's this is one of the interesting juxtapositions in football. You know, Cornelius is is coaching right now, right? He's he's coaching. He knows what this is like. And you have to just be honest when the evidence tells you what the answer is. And and, and let's give an example that was already given right out of the gate. Our defensive line is playing really well. David Turner is doing a really good job. Every single week, you see not only individual improvement, but improvement as a unit. You cannot say the same thing about any other defensive unit. And as everyone here has mentioned, we are not playing freshmen. In fact, our freshmen tend to execute better than our redshirt juniors or seniors or guys that have been in the system for this many years. So you're so saying they haven't been tainted. The obvious, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the obvious answer is what are they being taught? What are they being taught? How are they being coached? And it's not being executed. And look, my my big shtick in football, and I bet CI would agree with this entirely, the coach's job is to make sure that the players lose the game or win the game. And what I mean by that is you want to make sure that you do everything to the best of your ability so that if a player gets beat on a play or if something happens, it's just because the game was decided on the field. It was not decided by your lack of teaching them the right thing to do. Uh, or whatever the case may be, but that you know that guy just beats you on that play. That's the goal for any coach. And it, to me right now, I don't know how you could draw any other conclusion given all the data that we just have position groups that are not being taught how to play the game well. And that is that is our biggest problem. It's bigger than even the schemes that we run. It's bigger than some of the stuff that we run that I don't love. You could run a lot of different defensive schemes and you can be successful if you communicate well, you're on the same page and you do your job. And week in and week out, we're just not seeing it happen. And as a final piece here, you can look at film from every single Gator game this season, every single one. And you can find a moment where there's there's one, two, or three players having a conversation about why they messed something up and then grant them on the sideline is going to have the same conversation with one of those guys. And how is that still happening mm-hmm. year three, middle of the season? There's no good answer other than you have to lay the blame at the people that are teaching these guys how to play. I love it. CI, your job was to expose defenses, to, to break through coverage. What are you seeing uh, at the, the corner in, in safety positions? Um, inconsistency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I hate to even talk about it, you know, being a former Gator, but after a while, you know, we shouldn't have two and three guys huddling up, you know, to to say, hey, what happened? Especially when when we're talking about seven or eight times a game, you know. So there's there's definitely some communication issues that go on. And I I actually thought back, um, I I said something to my team um, a couple weeks ago. You know, well, someone did an interview, whatever, interviewing me, you know, talking about we end up missing some games due to COVID. Well, we had a, a player parent who had COVID, so we had to miss some games. And they was asking me about my offense, my my team's offense. Oh, you know, you guys look like you couldn't create a rhythm. Normally, you know, it's harder for the offense to 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 gel and, and create a rhythm um, going into the season or, or throughout the season. 
defensively, um, guys catch on a little bit easier and faster. And so there's there's definitely some major issues. Like I said, I'm concerned going going into the SEC championship um, with with Alabama and their passing attack. Uh, so something has to happen, and I don't know if it's because guys are not getting the signal, guys doesn't understand the calls, and I'll be honest, there's no way I would ever compare me coaching high school football to 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 Dan Mullen coaching college football at the University of Florida. But I've had to go to players individually to ask them, do they really understand this scheme, whether it's on the offensive side of the ball or defensive side of the ball? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you understand what the offensive coordinator is talking about? Do you understand what the defensive coordinator is talking about? We might have to take it that step further, you know, to make sure these guys are comprehending where, you know, the coaches are really asking them because some guys will be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know the call. And then once they get out on the field, they don't have a clue. And um, I think it's up to the coach to really find out um, if these guys really understand what's going on. If not, it'll come back to bite us uh, in the SEC championship game. Alan, uh, CI just brought it up. want to get your thoughts. Uh, maybe some changes need to be made. What are some changes that you think would be could be made in the in the defensive backfield? Well, I mean, I think it starts with having the right personnel on the field. And mm-hmm. There's guys who are clearly more consistent and show up on film way better. I mean, uh, it still puzzles me that Donovan Steiner plays as many snaps as he does. I, I think there are some guys who – can play on this team, even some of the other guys like Jaden Hill, Chester Kimbrough is a favorite of James's. Uh, Elon at times can be fantastic, and other times he makes mistakes that you're like a guy of your caliber shouldn't make. So I don't know. You could change almost anything. You could change the personnel. You could change what schemes we're running, even within the schemes. Are we are we playing close to the line of scrimmage or not? Uh, it feels like almost anything at this point would be better, and we have gotten a we've gotten a little better on some of those things, but that's why it's it's so hard if you just would say, well, let's just fix this. Stop running so much zone, run more man. But I don't know that that would do it because I don't know that they would understand what's happening out there. They haven't shown me that. I see. I said that they have a comprehension of what they're being tasked to do. Um, so that's really unfortunate. Yeah. And it's a lot of the same names and same people. Uh, Corey is the resident defensive back. Same question. Yeah. I just know that like, the same, the same feeling we're having. Like these guys don't know what they're doing. That's that's a feeling um, by people around the program. Some of the some of the parents and and, and family of these defensive backs are saying similar things. Like maybe this needs to get dumbed down a little bit. Um, it feels like our guys are thinking a lot and not just flying to the ball. To be honest, when the younger guys get in, it seems like they fly to the ball more and they're thinking less. That's the surprising thing. When you see Torrance and Travez Johnson on the field. It feels like they're flying around. It feels like our veteran guys are thinking and talking a lot. Um, so that's my biggest thing. I, I'm with you guys. I think these guys are lost a little bit. And they need to dumb it down. Perfect. Uh, James, uh, film guy, want to ask you kind of same question um, schematically. Uh, is there anything that Florida can do, or do you think it's mainly a personnel issue? Well, that's a big that's a big question. I think there's there's two things. One, personality wise, I think the right way to play defense against spread passing offenses in the modern era is to play more man defense. But that also means you have to recruit guys mm-hmm. that can do that. 
got to play more cover one. You've got to have a really good free safety. I think Sean Davis could fulfill that role. You have to play more dime. Uh, all these things are things we don't do. We barely play any dime. Grantham doesn't like dime. He's almost a nickel guy to to his dying day. And then we have been unable to find a player to play, you know, slot corner or nickel mm-hmm. or star, as we call it. And we continually roll out guys who on film don't cover well, despite the fact that our run defense is definitely much better than our passing defense. So, you know, for me, I, I'd make some simple changes. One, uh, you know, I think Donovan Steiner really shouldn't play based upon what we see on film. And none of these things are, are personal attacks or critiques. Get ready for Pam Steiner and for DMs. Whoa. You've got to make, yeah. But I think that's one. And then I think from there, you know, if you're going to pair somebody with Sean Davis, the guy that's been best on film, and Brad Stewart can do that job, by the way. He's fine there. Torrance has the highest ceiling. Uh, I think a guy like Chester and Jaden tend to be our best cover guys. They're not getting beat the most. They should both be playing at the same time. But again, for me, maybe the simple answer to this question is, I think if you're coaching, you need to explore lineups in games. But one of the things that really grates on me is when coaches will say things like, well, you know, practice, this happens here and there. But you have to give guys a chance under the lights. Games are different than practice. Put something on film, see what happens, make them prove it. Because I can tell you right now that Jaden Hill has been our best corner on film. And the fact that he lost out on a ton of snaps to Marco Wilson last week doesn't make any sense. So to me, circling everything back, putting a bow on this, I would run a different style of defense. That's not realistic to ask of Grantham now. Uh, but personnel changes are, and I think that's the fastest way for us to give ourselves a better chance of beating Alabama. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I don't, because Grantham's history would suggest otherwise. Perfect. It makes sense. It's business sense. Like uh, We try to act like none of this is business. It's not always competition. Uh, benching Marco comes with uh, his NFL dreams and aspirations and all that. So uh, when you bench these veteran guys, uh, much as these coaches like to just preach competition, it ain't always competition. Some of some of his business. Yeah, CI. I know you wanted to uh, to say something. Yeah, James. James kind of he he hit on it briefly, um, and and it, it definitely stuck out to me. Like sometimes a lot a lot of coaches they're they're stuck in their ways. They they're stuck in their system and their scheme, and it sometimes hurt hurt hurts the players. You know, I, I feel like the best coaches adjust or adapt to the type of players he 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 has around him and that's the only way i feel like we'll we'll get better uh, as a unit in the secondary um but there, def- there definitely has to be some changes even if the coach has to adjust his scheme and, and a lot of times it's hard for coaches uh, and i think i, I kind of made uh, this example when we spoke i think earlier last year you know one thing i know about you know Coach Mullen, whenever he coached me, and Coach Meyer, when he coached me, he had to coach Tim um, and Chris different. They were different players. They couldn't run the same offense. You know, and, and at that time, Coach Meyer wanted to run the spread, but once when he first got to UF, Chris Leak was a starter. You know, so so great coaches, they adjust to, to, to the players around them until they get those players. I think this is, what, year three for Coach Mullen? He's working in some of the, the some of his recruits. Um, normally, you know, by the fourth year, fourth and fifth year, you should have all your guys in, and, and, and the same thing should should happen with the defensive coordinator as well. You kind of got to adjust to to what what personnel you have on the team at the time. See, that, and that's the thing; it's happening on this team on the other side of the ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you you've completely adjusted. 
and yeah. you're just not, you know, it's not changing on defense. I, I think I, I think part of it is you you have a, a lot of coaches with a lot of longevity. I mean, outside of Christian Robinson, you have three former defensive coordinators on that team. Um, you know, I think David Turner's you know coaching the best of that group right now. But I, I think you have a lot of folks that are are certainly set in their ways of it, it's my way or the highway. And I think you're seeing some some butting of the heads of. Uh, of where that might be an issue. Uh, Dave, I want to ask you this next question. Uh, you know, Florida has been known to have some, some great linebacking groups or linebacker groups in the past. I uh, want to ask you that they, there's certainly not a group that that's shown up a lot on, on paper this year outside of a, a few big hits, uh, definitely some missed coverages and, and some issues at, at linebacker. Um, what do you think that Florida might be able to do at that position better? I mean, if they can get Miller and Houston to be out there more, I think that's their best two for now because it just seems like Diabate and Bernie, who they just want to keep rolling out there in those positions, just aren't. I mean, like, they're not line. They were never recruited to be linebackers. They're not supposed to be linebackers. They, they weren't brought to Florida to be linebackers. And here we are, year two and one, and year three of the other one, and they're out there playing linebacker and they're playing a lot of linebacker and wrong gaps and coverages and you know Bernie's gotten better as the season went on I'll, I'll give him some credit there we, we're not calling out his name uh, when a running back runs an angle route he he's going straight toward the flats just because that's what South Carolina's done all game long <laughs> and he just falls <laughs> for it and and it gets beat on the coverage there but it's, it's uh, to me that is one spot where it is a lot of pure players you know I, I think you got Miller and Houston who fit there but then you're, you're playing Diabate and, and Bernie there who just to me they're not linebackers and, and and you see it every game they can't beat blocks they get eat up by offensive linemen they can't they're not consistent enough in, in stopping the run game if if the defensive line's not getting the pressure in stopping the run game I'm not I don't have a lot of confidence in it falling to these linebackers and then beating their blocks when it's Bernie and Diabate Diabate should be off the edge Bernie uh I still don't know the perfect spot for him. I don't know if he really has one right now. But, you know, to, to me, that, that that's where it is. There's not enough true linebackers on this roster. They're, they're, they've recruited well on defense. There's just no true linebackers, really. Yeah, you're starting to see a little bit more of Tyron Hopper out there. Uh, but, uh, Alan, I want to ask you the same question. What are some things that Florida can do at that linebacker position to, to perform better? So, yeah, we talked about this a little bit. It's kind of what Dave was saying, the – we seem to have valued positional versatility over production and feel like we recruited 14 buck linebackers and of varying size and shapes. And I think we could use some more traditional linebackers. That's kind of boring, but it's, I think it'd be helpful. And gosh, if Miller and Houston are the answers, that's, that's not going to bode well for us for too long. Um, gosh, Theoretically, Bernie and Diabate can do really nice things for you, but we're just asking them to do some of the wrong things. I don't know that there's a real answer this season. I don't know if you mentioned Tyron Hopper. I don't know if any of those young guys are ready. Mm -hmm. It might have to wait till next year, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so, same question to you. Are you you want personnel changes back there? Or? Yeah, a lot of what Alan just said, guys, are just too many tweeners. We're recruiting guys that are not natural linebackers. And um, I don't know how long it takes to develop a linebacker, but we're still playing McElwain's linebackers um, with Houston. And, and Diabate just looks tiny. Um, mm -hmm. They just don't look like they're built to play linebacker in the SEC. Uh, him, him and Bernie, Bernie, they just look weak in, in run coverage. So I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. But um, it's obvious that Houston and, and Ventrell are the most physical. At least they have bad intentions at linebacker. Yeah. Uh, 
last question, uh, James, to, to or last person, James, uh, to you, uh, is more schematic or is it more personnel? I thought linebacker were weak, obviously, personnel wise, for sure. But again, who, whose fault is that, right? Who's recruiting these guys? And how do you have so many tweeners? If you know what you need and you have a direction for your coaching staff, you can do it. You know, see, I said earlier that he can't compare himself to college coaches in a large regard, which is which is true to a certain extent. But he can't choose his own players. So, right, he has a built-in excuse. Hey, I can't pick my guys. It's whoever happens to be at my district. But as a college coach, you're recruiting these guys. So a lot of questions to be asked of why we have so many tweener guys. And then I think in this case, I think all of our players are trying their hardest. And one thing I find myself battling on the podcast is I am not trying to vilify mm -hmm. anyone. Nor, nor am I trying to vilify the coaches, by right. the way. You know, thankfully, I'm not a former player. Like, if you're, if you're CI, again, not to pick on CI, but – you have to you have to be very respectful of the program you're at. And we live in a society where it's hard for us to say things that could be true if it means that somebody may have to you know, face the consequences. So to circle back to what you directly asked at linebacker, you know, Houston is generally wrong with wherever he's going. He's a massive liability with where he's going, but he's built like a linebacker if he can actually get himself lined up. All these guys have a thing or two they can do well. How do you fix it? I think you play fewer linebackers. That might sound crazy, but I think we have a lot of DBs. That's why I'd play more dime, and I'd, I'd, I'd try to rely on my guys stopping the run with dime. I'd stop trying to run a 3-4. We don't have personnel to run a 3-4. I'd immediately change that. We've moved more to you know four down linemen. But I just think this team is suffering, especially on passing downs. And that's probably my biggest takeaway. Why are we running a nickel on passing downs, which means Houston or Miller has to cover someone Miller's okay. Houston is a huge liability there. And then, as you guys mentioned, Diabate can do a lot of things well. He should be rushing the passer. He can cover. But you can't ask him on first down to be helping and run support. He can't shut a block. So there's no easy solution other than, hey, maybe you give a guy like Hopper a shot in these games because he is a real linebacker. And mm -hmm. I, a linebacker is not rocket science, especially if you're not the Mike, right? So long-winded answer there. But I think you got to try some other guys or you're going to have – a real problem stopping Alabama who can run the football. So, and that's with the schedule coming up. I think we could get jaded by that point too. These offenses that are coming up, Bandy, Kentucky, Tennessee, it's going to play right into what Grantham wants to do as far as personnel in, in, in that, in that personnel grouping. So he's not going to spread out and you know, you, you where you have to defend the pass and you probably get comfortable in what you kind of have already seen this year coming up with these next three games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Want to ask, uh, we'll start with you, CI. Who's your defensive MVP of the year so far? Ooh. <laughs> can I say Campbell? You sure can. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke. I mean, he, yeah, yeah, no, nah, he, he, he actually, he, he affects the game um, right away. Uh, he plays with great energy and, and you could tell, you know, when he wasn't out there, we knew it. The entire Gator Nation knew. And now that he's back, we also know that he's back. So that's how much he, he affects the game. And uh, I know he'll he'll continue to get better. And um, hopefully some of these other guys around him will, will feed off his energy and some of his success. But I'll definitely have to go with Campbell. See, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. I just started to think of all of the players that the Gators have that are their best players that all have first names that start with K, Kyle Pitts, Kyle oh, yeah. Trapp. Kadarius yeah. Johnny, Kyrie Campbell, Kyrie Elam. Um, if you name your son uh, 
first name with a K. He's going to probably be a Gator legend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, want to ask, ask you the same question, defensive MVP. Uh, I'll just go Zach Carter just because he's been able to play off of, uh, off of Campbell so much since he, yeah. since he's come back. So I think it's really helped him probably the most. Uh, I think of if you just kind of want to go by stats and some of the big plays that he's been able to make since Campbell come back. So uh, I'll go Carter. He's playing okay uh, before Cam- uh, Campbell come back. But now I think he's taking it to another level. And no, nobody on this defense is playing at an elite level right now. Uh, but if you want to say uh, MVP, uh, playing off of Campbell, I'll go Carter. So, yeah, I'm gonna go Zach Carter as well. Um, a lot of what you said, but also, uh, Zach Carter, he's solid at defensive tackle and out of position when we need him. As bad as the defense played around him, uh, he was pretty solid at defensive tackle when playing in position. And also, that ejection, man, it was emotional. You know, he got us riled up a little bit, um, got defense pumped up, and I think they all responded. Man. So I think he's the emotional leader, not just a uh, he's valuable off the field and on the field. So I'm gonna go with Harder. I love it, uh, James. Yeah, I think that the MVP is pro- it probably by definition has to be right Campbell because he just <laughs> again the mismatch sort of nature of our defense is that if we don't have another defensive tackle, we can't play defense, which is crazy to me in year three. Now we've adjusted this. You see David Turner come in last year. Look at who we have now. Right, guys like Urban Dexter, a host of other bodies. We're going to be fine there in the future. But for now, for this season, if one guy goes down on defense and ask yourself this question, if you lose one player on defense, who affects the team the most? And it has to be Campbell. But Carter, I agree with everyone saying that too. Carter's been the best on film day one, right? If you look at a defender, he's been the best on film all season long. And Silk, you just said it so well. Carter was having an impact on D tackle. I mean, he was consistently beating his man. So those two guys, I think, are the guys. And then and Jaden Hill, obviously, has had a really nice season at corner. It's really hard to be an MVP at corner when your team is giving up so many yards elsewhere. But I think those are the three guys that have stood out the most to me. Great. Alan, sorry you're last, but. All right. I'll, I'll go Zachary Carter. And I thought Silk said it really well. Um very unselfishly played in a spot that is not his natural spot and did a credible job there was, you know, holding his own at a defensive tackle spot where he's a little undersized. And then now that he's been able to slide back outside, he looks really great. I also just want to give a little shout out to TJ Slayton, who mm-hmm. it's finally started to look like the guy we hoped he would be when he got here as a freshman. And, you know, that's a unglamorous position playing nose tackle. And he's done a really nice job there as well. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, TJ Slate is definitely an unheralded guy and doesn't really show up on the stat sheet. Uh, all great answers, guys. Just a couple more questions. We To, to wrap this up, um, elite offense, defense that's struggling. Does Florida have enough of a package with those two teams, plus probably one of the best kickers in the University of Florida history um, on special teams? Does Florida have enough, uh, do you guys think, to, to win the SEC championship and make a, a run at the national championship, Dave? Yes, because of the offense. <laughs> the offense is that good um, right now. I mean, I, I'll probably – I don't know if you're going to ask the question or, or next, but I'll combine it. We're probably we're going next. I picked Florida to lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game before Ooh. the season. Uh, I'll probably pick it still. Uh, I think Florida's defense probably still bites them when they play Alabama in, in, in Atlanta. I think, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a close game. I think it's there, but there's going to be that clutch moment. And there's yeah. going to be a 50-yard bomb from Mac Jones to a receiver, and that'll be all she wrote, and we'll be ticked off at Todd Grantham because he just wasted a 
elite Florida offense. <laughs> you can you can at Dave at, at Gator Dave underscore SEC <laughs> your, your takes on that. Uh, Silk, want to ask you, uh, does Florida have enough offense and a good enough defense on special teams to win the SEC? I don't think we have good enough defense, but we got Killer Cal and the Killettes, man. <laughs> I think we, if we got the ball, I think we can score with the best of them. Um, I don't think there's any defense or any secondary that's going to stop us. Um, I just don't see it. Cal Pitts come back. We just got too many weapons. Bama looks good, but I think I just think we're, we're more versatile than them with getting the ball, and you can't key on one guy. Uh, I think we got the better quarterback. The better quarterback has won the SEC um, the last few years, so – I think we're about to win it, man. We're going to the playoffs. I love it. I love it. Alan. So I think we can win it. I think it's – I don't know if it's likely, but, you know, it's not like these Gator teams under Michael Wynn where they're going up against a buzzsaw in Alabama. There's there's no hope. Mm. With an offense like this, we certainly can win. I don't know that we will. Um, but the path, the path is there, and I think if you can score like we can, things will break your way. A few turnovers, you can beat anybody. There's nobody out there who I – who I would think the Gators cannot beat this team, uh, especially this year with yeah. Clemson having a few wards. Um, you know, we don't know enough about Ohio State. And we've seen you can put points up on Bama. Ole Miss did it. So uh, the opportunity is there. I don't know if the defense is going to let us down in the end. That's certainly uh, a possibility, maybe even a probability, as Dave said. But uh, we certainly can win everything this year. That's pretty exciting. I love it. CI. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, we can win the SEC championship. We can win a national championship. I, I feel really confident in, in this team. I mean, like like everyone said, of course, you know, having one of the best offenses in the country, uh, we can outscore people. And I think we'll 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 get we'll get some key stops. We'll get some key stops. Um and you know just seeing some of these other teams around the country, I do feel like we're probably the best offense in in the country, and uh, I've, I've seen everyone else play. Uh, probably haven't seen enough of everyone else, but you know just just looking ahead, we 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 have enough. We definitely have enough, and I'm excited, man. I I know you know we we've been you know talking about the defense and everyone else, uh, but. You know, it's been a million times mm-hmm. worse uh, in the past. Uh, just, just offense and defense at Florida. So, um, to be where we are right now, um, I'm excited, especially as a former player. Florida football is fun again. It sure is. Yep. <laughs> James, well, final question to you: Can can we win it? Yes. You know, will we win it? Our margin for error is almost zero, and I'm a huge margin for error guy. Uh, if we just played the right personnel and didn't change a single scheme, I think it becomes a coin flip or potentially even more to our advantage. But I think the model for the Gators is simple, right? Are we LSU of 2019? You know, right now we're slightly ahead of their points per play production, which is remarkable. Take that in for a second. But our defense is half the defense they had last year and their defense wasn't good. So can it happen? Yes. Will it happen? Probably not. And that's because a team like Alabama against a team like ours, they're going to force Kyle Trask to make consistently good plays all throughout the game. And we are probably not going to make them do that. So, of course, we can win. With this offense, we can win. But with this defense, it's going to be tough. And, and again, I think our model is LSU. If we can just become LSU and get just maybe even only three to four stops a game, Mm -hmm. 
go to the AM game, just get three or four stops a game, and there's probably no one that can beat us. So that's the question we're all asking is, can we stop Alabama three to four times? If we can, we have a good shot of winning. But right now on film, that, that looks like that could be a tough task, and that's not asking much. But, again, that could be tough. I want to wrap up with one final uh, one final question to you guys. Um, I do know that Alabama's defense is a little porous this year as well. Um, they're giving up 260.3 yards per game, where Florida's giving up 260.5. So, so certainly uh, going to be a definitely a battle of, of offenses, which leads me to my final question. And man, it's exciting for the first time in you know 11 seasons or 10 seasons that we can talk about this. Um, Dave, start with you again. Does Kyle Trask win the Heisman Trophy this year? No, because I got him losing in Atlanta. So oh. that, that's what's going to hold it back. Uh, but he, he, he wins that game, he's winning it. That, that, I, I think it comes down to Atlanta. Uh, I do. It, it, it's, it's Mac Jones or it's Kyle Trask. Perfect. So, Kyle. Kyle Trask, Heisman, you know, we're going to the playoffs, all that. See y'all in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely be in Atlanta. Uh, James, want to go to you. Does Kyle Trask win the Heisman Trophy this year? I think he controls his own destiny. I think he has the tiebreaker with his incredible story. I think he could win it even if we lose to Bama, depending on what happens uh, with, with Mac Jones and with Justin Fields. I'm going to say that he does win the Heisman this year, and I don't think we have to beat Alabama to do it. Again, that depends on what things look like, but I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say yes. Awesome, Alan. I think he does. If I had to bet on somebody, I would bet on him. The guy that maybe is lurking there is Justin Fields, um, mm-hmm. who's thrown as many incompletions as he has touchdowns. If they get to play all their games, which is a big, big if, um, I think coming in as one of the favorites still holds a lot of sway over certain voters. Um, but I like what James said, that story is going to be really compelling when uh, Florida maybe does finally does a good job of marketing tracks for the Heisman. <laughs> I love it. I love finally. finally. CI is somebody that played with the last time that the Gators won a Heisman trophy. Does Kyle Trask win the Heisman trophy this year? No question. Uh, he'll, he'll definitely win it. Um, even, you know, regardless of the outcome of the SEC championship game, which I, I think we will probably knock Bama off. Um, but, you know, as long as he, he plays well and I'm not afraid of their defense, um, he'll definitely win the Heisman this year. Absolutely. I love it. Well, boy, right, I'm was, shutting down Twitter for the next 36 hours. <laughs> <laughs> this was truly an enjoyable time. Uh being biased here, I think that this might have been our most informative and, and best Gator panel that we've ever done. Uh, but want everybody to be able to go and shout themselves out on social media and everything else. So, so Corey, let's start with you. Where can people follow you? Uh, talk about some of the work that you do. Uh, at Uncle Silk on, on Twitter, Uncle with a K. I'm on Big Three Club uh, podcast with me, Josh Uber, boy Kev. I'm pretty sure most of you know about it. And I'm on Stadium Miguel. Very good. Very good. Dave. Yep. David Waters, Gators Breakdown Podcast, uh, about three episodes a week, but at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Follow me on Twitter. Very active there. But uh, once again, I want to thank everybody uh, for, for hopping on and joining us uh, here on this edition of the Gator Panel. Absolutely. CI. Hey, uh, I might be a little long right now, but I just want to tell you guys, thanks for having me. Um, this is This is actually really fun. 
Uh, of course, like I said earlier, I'm the head football coach at Hawthorne uh, High School, my former high school. I'm also the girls' head basketball coach. Uh, I have a second-round playoff game this Friday against Fort Meade where Jamel Cornelius, former wide receiver, uh, Gator Great, uh, he's the head coach at Fort Meade. Uh, all of my basketball girls are my water girls for my football team. So we're a small town. Um, I'm coaching back home uh, where, where, of course, I love everything about about the town. Um, uh, we've had a lot of success. My girls and our boys basketball team won state last year. So, so being in a small rural area, you know, the, the, the sports probably the most important things that, that drive these kids. So me being home here, uh, being, being a Gator, you know, 20 minutes, uh, from, from campus is, is huge. The Gator fans, uh, support me, uh, throughout, uh, coaching, playing, so uh, it's very true. The Gator Nation is everywhere. I've, I've, I've received a lot of love and support from, from the University of Florida and, of course, guys like yourself. So thanks for having me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, C Ingram underscore 85. Thanks, fellas. Absolutely. Thank you, CI. And CI did a great interview on Stadium and Gail. Sorry to plug us real quick. Um, a couple months ago about his story. It's just a really compelling listen. Uh, Alan. Yeah, you can check me and James out on the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Um, of course, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, don't follow me on Twitter. You'll be disappointed. <laughs> and then James. Yeah, same. And I actually don't have a personal Twitter, so follow the show there. Check us out, really, any social media channel, Patreon, YouTube. And, and thanks, obviously, for putting this together. Uh, Stadium Gale guys and everyone else, and thank you for being a part of it. This was this was tons of fun. As CI said, loved hearing the opinions, and uh, you know we're in, we're in a golden era with media, and none of us are in the media, which is why it's so golden, right? We can come on here and share our opinions. And, uh, really, really great. But thanks to all of you who obviously spent time with us this evening, and again, check all these guys out. Hey, we all had to do podcasts through the McElwain years, so it's a lot. It's a lot better now. <laughs> We, we got started about a year and a half into Mullen, so we knew what we were doing, right? So, um, And then uh, my name again is Dan Thompson. Thank you guys so much. Like I said, an absolute pleasure hosting uh, with you all today. I am on the State of Miguel podcast uh, with Ahmad Black and uh, Corey Knowles, Uncle Silk there. Um, and for myself and the rest of the crew, uh, I'm Dan and Dan. We're signing off. And thank you guys so much for your time.